0: I'm Autumn Lockett,
1: and this is Mitch Randall,
0: and you're listening to Good Faith Weekly.
1: Welcome to Good Faith Weekly, and on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up. We had storms move through Oklahoma last night. We're also going to talk about the ignorance and stupidity of former U.S. Senator from Pennsylvania, Rick Santorum, and we're also going to be talking about what's going on in the country of India. Zach Dawes wrote a report this week at goodfaithmedia.org concerning the high numbers of COVID cases and deaths that are coming from that country. Later on in the pod, we're going to visit with Reverend Starlet Thomas, who is a contributing correspondent for Good Faith Media and the director of Raceless Gospel. Starlet went out to Minnesota last weekend to hold sacred space where George Floyd was murdered and uh, and Dante Wright was killed just weeks ago, and uh, her coverage of that is just really heart wrenching but very powerful. So, you want to stay tuned for that interview.
2: I'm Reverend Starlett Thomas, a womanist in ministry and the host of a new podcast, The Raceless Gospel, from Good Faith Media. We're going to talk about that taboo trinity race, religion, and politics. Season one of The Raceless Gospel has five episodes, five Sundays, if you will. We're going to take you to church each episode. We're going to talk about the sticks and stones, the skin and bones of Christian discipleship through the structure of a church service. And each episode, we're joined by a special guest who will bring a word. The Raceless Gospel Podcast, five episodes, all available March 22nd. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Join us as we march into and beyond race, religion, and politics. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org.
1: Autumn, how are things in your world today? It is Thursday when we record this. We had something go on in uh, Norman, Oklahoma last night, didn't we?
0: We had boom, thunder, <laughs> according to my little ones. We had lots of thunder last night and, uh, it was, it was noisy. We've had a couple of really raucous nights lately. Thankfully, our part of town wasn't hit as hard as yours was.
1: Yeah, we got hit pretty hard starting around eight 30. Last night, uh, there was a, a supercell that took a right turn. And anybody who lives in tornado alley knows that when a supercell like that takes a right turn. Uh it's got some problems. Thank- Thankfully, it didn't drop a tornado, and that's what they usually do when they take a right turn like that. But this one had a lot of hell and wind, and we got hammered last night. Uh Woke up this morning to a totaled roof, uh, damage around our windowsills, our doors, our garage doors, uh just a, a lot of, of damage to my home personally. But looking around, uh, my damage wasn't as bad as the rest of the town, uh, who lost windows and, uh, cars were pummeled, uh, just, just really is a multimillion dollar loss here in Norman from the storm. It was just really the, crazy.
0: The car dealerships look like someone took a blender to them. I mean, it is, it is remarkable.
1: Mm-hmm. It is, you know, and it seems, I mean, I'm going to get on my, uh, Uh, high horse real quick. So hang on, let me saddle up. Here,
0: let me grab his reins. (laughs) All right. All right, we're ready. Okay,
1: I'm up here. I'm up here. Um, We have lived in our home here in Norman for 14 years now. 14 years, which is not, I mean, it's a long time, but not that long a time, right? Right. This is going to be the third roof we have put on our house. Now, I know what everybody's saying out there. Well, why in the world are you living in Tornado Alley or in that place? Place uh, or in that neck of the woods where storms move in quite frequently,
0: you know. I'm I, asking that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little
1: bit. <laughs> I grew up in Oklahoma, and you know, we had storms growing up as a child, and uh, we had an occasional tornado that caused damage. But in the 14 years that I have lived here in central Oklahoma, the severity the severity of these storms continues to increase. We've had multiple F5 tornadoes that have moved through Oklahoma, the Oklahoma City metro area. One of them being the largest tornado ever on record. Now get this. It was 2 miles wide. A tornado 2 miles wide. That's a small hurricane moving uh, across the, the southern plains. Hellstorms continue to intensify. They are continuing to become more common. And we just went through a polar vortex that we have never been through here in Oklahoma.
0: Started uh, before Halloween.
1: I know. I mean, we had freezing uh, rain, at, I think, early October. And then the the polar vortex that that came in just a, a few months ago with temperatures far below zero here uh, in Oklahoma area. And it caused so much. Uh, so many more issues down in Texas and in southern states so here's my soapbox or excuse me here's me preaching from the horse i am tired of climate change deniers
3: i just am tired of it because climate change is real what is going on
1: with our environment is causing the weather to change. Again, I've grown up here in Oklahoma. I know what it means to live in Tornado Alley. But what I've seen over the last 14 years, there's just so much evidence that suggests that the weather is changing, storms are increasing, they're becoming more powerful, and it's because the climate is changing. Now, I can't go to the, you know, the the Arctic and, and see the 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 Polar ice caps melting, I can't go see uh, glaciers rescinding very quickly, I can't see sea level rise, but I can look out my front window right now and tell you that the storms are intensifying and I'm tired of climate change deniers telling me not to believe my own eyes. We've got to do a better job taking care of this planet we've got to set goals to reduce our co- our carbon footprint. And I am totally on board with whatever we can do these days to make certain that happens. As a person of faith, as a Christian, we are called and we are uh, scripture demands, God demands that we care for his creation. He gave us that responsibility. And I just sometimes think that we don't take it seriously. We just treat this world as a resource. We don't treat it as a living, created being as God created it. And the world is fighting back against the attack of humanity, and we're seeing it in the change of weather. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm saddled now.
0: Okay. I'm (laughs) saddled. You're a good boy. You go run. We're going to let this horsey go. (laughs) And and here's the situation is that science and faith are not mutually exclusive. Mm -mm. They're just not. And we see that with climate change. We see that with the COVID vaccine. We see that um, in so many other elements that people think, Science, I'm against it. Well, no, like, God doesn't demand that you be anti science. Like, you can still use your scruples and make some decisions based on evidence.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of evidence, uh, a former U.S. Senator from Pennsylvania decided just to deny all evidence of the existence of Native American and Indigenous peoples. Uh, Rick Santorum this week, or I'm sorry, a video of Rick Santorum emerged this week of him talking to a group of young Republicans. And in his remarks, he basically said that America was created from a blank slate and that. There wasn't a not. There wasn't any Native American culture left in America, and really just continued to perpetuate this false mythology that the uh, Pilgrims came over here from Europe and met a bunch of Neanderthals, and then just you know uh, created America.
0: And, You're welcome. <laughs> As a socially constructed white person to my Muscogee Creek amigo, let me just say,
1: you're welcome uh, You're, you're mixing, for the culture. You're, you're mixing uh, your cultures up there, uh, Muscogee Creek amigo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, but uh, yeah, it was, you know, here's the sad thing about it. And I wrote about it at goodfaithmedia.org uh, this week in my column. You know, there was a lot that we could unpack about what Santorum got wrong. But there is something he got right, and that 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 what he got right was that there has been a four hundred year attempt by a white European culture to wipe out indigenous cultures and people. Um, You know, and it it just it has been a consistent attempt, generation after generation, to thwart that. In fact, um, what's called the Pratt Doctrine that was begun. Uh, in the Carlisle uh, Agricultural Schools, when uh, the federal government had conquered uh, the the eastern tribes, had, were in the process of moving them westward. Uh, the Civil War had uh, ended, um, and the Trail of Tears was beginning, and, and uh, Native Americans were being pushed farther and farther west to reservations. the The Pratt Doctrine simply said that. In order to save the man, you must kill the Indian. And that is what's been taking place for over 400 years uh, here in America. And so while Santorum was speaking a lot of nonsense, he was also kind of being honest that this is what America has been about, whether Mm -hmm. it's destroying the indigenous culture or removing Africans from their culture and supplanting them here in slavery uh, for forced and free labor. Uh, this is what this is what America is, and I think we have to be honest about it. It's a, a stolen land. This country is built on stolen land and built by slave labor. And yeah. while there's a lot of great things about this country that I love, there's a lot of bad things about this country as well.
0: Yeah, I want to quote a wise man real quick. Um, He said, if the founding of the American colonies were truly about religious freedom, then colonists would have actually responded and honored Native religions and culture. Instead, they did everything they could to destroy those cultures and replace them with a forced acceptance of Christianity. That was you. You wrote that in your (laughs) column. And I just thought it's too long to hashtag, but we need to make a neon sign or something because it's, it's just powerful.
1: You know, when I wrote that, it was something that I've been thinking about a long time, trying to vocalize it. And I am a religious liberty nut. Uh, oh, We know. I, <laughs> we've seen the T-shirts. <laughs> You've seen the T-shirts. Uh, I think the founders, especially Jefferson and Madison and, and then the, the clergy who advocated for religious liberty, I think it was a brilliant move to include that in the First Amendment. But I do think we have to be honest about it that, what did that religious liberty uh, statute mean in the constitution? Uh, you know, the constitution wasn't written for women, it wasn't written for uh, indigenous people, and it wasn't written, written for black people. It was written mm-hmm. for white males. That's what it was written for. So this is a side note. You can't be an originalist uh, and for the constitution. If so, you'd have to go back to what the founders intended. And that's what they intended. Nevertheless, We always celebrate the pilgrims fleeing religious persecution, and they were. Let's be honest about it. They were fleeing religious persecution. But let's also be honest that it wasn't about religious freedom when they came over here. They wanted to practice their religion, but they also wanted to force their religion upon others. And there was no respect of the Native culture and religions. First thing they did was attempt to convert them
0: they practice religion religious freedom at the native americans.
1: Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And that's very well put. So but yeah, it uh it, it's it's a frustrating mythology that we continue to have to battle um and it's one that's not going to go away. Well speaking of not going away, uh covid-19 is continuing to ramp up across the world lots of good positive things happening here in the United States. Vaccines are up, cases are down, deaths are down, and we celebrate all of that, uh, even though, you know, we do so cautiously, knowing that at any time an outbreak of one of these variants could take place. But uh, we heard from our good friend, uh, Sam Bontha, who is a pastor at New Life Baptist Church in Hyderabad, India. Uh, this week, and uh, Sam and his family have been suffering from uh, COVID, Uh, but uh, he wrote, uh, or uh, Zach Dawes wrote a piece about what's going on in India and interviewed Sam, and it's just really scary. I mean, we, we think that we're out of the woods, but the reality is the pandemic is not over until the virus is eradicated in all of the world, and in places like India, this wave is just crazy nuts right now.
0: Mm-hmm. It is. And you also have to question a little, little bit how they're reporting their numbers because things were going really well there for a while. But we know there is, you know, some pretty interesting layers of social constructs there. And so it's getting out of hand.
1: Yeah, it really is. So, Sam, we just want you to know that we are praying for you, praying for your mm-hmm. family, your congregation and and all uh the the indian citizens over there we just we wish them the best and and hopefully uh the vaccine can make its way to india it yeah, can spread yeah we're sending a bunch yeah we are so yeah so our thoughts and, and prayers go out to them and i don't mean that in and what it sounds no. like really. not
0: in a flippant way right, not no flippant truly way
1: yeah absolutely so so take a look at that article uh, zach dawes uh, published that this thursday at org. well now autumn and i had the distinct pleasure of sitting down with reverend starlet thomas this week reverend thomas uh, went out to minneapolis minnesota last weekend after the derek chauvin verdict was rendered and she held sacred space out there for us uh, Visiting the memorial site where George Floyd was murdered, and then also moving over to the site where Dante Wright was killed just weeks ago, and had conversations with uh, Dante Wright's family. Uh, it's a remarkable and powerful uh, interview, not because we interviewed it, but just because of the experience that Starlet had. Uh, her words are prophetic; they are pastoral, and words that we need to hear.
0: Mm -hmm. And listening to her experience was there was something sort of holy about it. I felt like, um, you know, we we watched her live tweet as she went through everything, but there were moments, sacred moments, that she didn't feel like it was right to really video or record or take pictures of those moments. So hearing her describe those was so powerful. And it reminded me a little bit about um, if you've ever been through the, the 9-11 Memorial Museum, how you like, you start going through and you're like, wow, there's not really much here, but then it sort of slowly builds to, if they had started with, the way the museum ends, you wouldn't have been able to walk two feet. And right. so um, her experiencing this verdict in person away from the site and then getting to travel to that site, um, which is really powerful. So we hope you'll stay tuned. Yeah.
1: Stay tuned for Starlet Thomas and her time in Minneapolis.
0: Discovering Wholeness is a new podcast from Good Faith Media. For healing trauma, for unearthing self.
3: because trauma is so pervasive in our
4: communities, it comes into our spiritual spaces, our churches. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering how trauma is expressed in religious communities.
0: My experience of, of sitting in the, the pain, the shame and the terror at times with some of the people that I have um, sat with that have experienced that judgment, but to the degree of those kinds of really strong words like abomination and you're going to hell. And it's so heart-wrenching. I'm Kendall Rothis, an author, feminist theologian, ordained minister, and spiritual director. Join me and my colleagues, Kendra Frazier and Jillian Drader, as we gather each week to discuss trauma and spirituality to stay grounded as we heal ourselves and walk alongside those who are healing. Join us and learn more at goodfaithmedia.org.
1: Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and on this episode, we've got a very special guest with us. We've got the Reverend Starlet Thomas, uh, who is a contributing uh, correspondent for Good Faith Media, as well as working with Raceless Gospel, uh, working alongside Starlet. Good Faith Media is attempting to launch a brand new project called the Raceless Gospel Initiative, and uh, Starlet is helping us put that together as the director of that initiative, and so we are glad that she is here with us today on Good Faith Weekly. Starlet, welcome to the pod.
4: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Well, start. we wanted to invite you uh, to talk a little bit about your time last week in Minnesota. As many of our listeners uh, already know, we've been uh, following the Derek Chauvin case uh, for many weeks now. Uh, prior to that, just the, the terrible murder of George, George Floyd uh, last year. And then more recently, as the trial was going on, uh, the killing of Dante Wright just miles away from where the trial was being conducted. And so talking to to you, knowing the verdict was uh, on its way, uh, we decided to uh, send you out to Minneapolis just to to get a sense of what was going on on the ground, get reaction to the verdict. And so uh, you got on a plane uh, there in D.C. and headed out to Minnesota. But uh, before we talk about your time there on the ground, let's talk a little bit about how you had to mentally prepare yourself. I just can't imagine after everything that has gone on this year, the marches, you were there, you marched, you've written, You've protested, you've asked for justice in this matter. Now you're getting on a plane going where the actual event took place. Just tell, the, tell our listeners a little bit about what this meant to you in preparation of going to Minnesota.
4: So all of the images that you have detailed came back to mind. I certainly was not prepared for justice to come so quickly. I was prepared to protest more. Uh, so in preparing for the trip, there was a lot of silence. Um, I just could not find words. Um, and so I, I, there, there was a lot of breath prayers, one word prayers, and a lot of singing. When I can't pray, I tend to sing. Um, but I think it helped in that there was nothing to say when I arrived. It was like being... Um, being at a funeral, mm-hmm. walking alongside people at a gravesite. You're not supposed to talk. You're not supposed to say anything. There was not even, people didn't even talk. There wasn't even whispering. Um, and so I thought that that was very fitting because I thought I would have all these fancy words to say, and I wrote some introductions, uh, but none of that spoke to the moment because what, what can you say uh, when persons see things as you have seen it? They've been crying for justice and saying that uh, George Floyd was murdered, uh, but did not expect the jurors and certainly the country to agree. So what happens then? What happens next? Well, then they started to grieve all over again. So I met mm-hmm. uh, people in process. Uh, so that Ministry of Presence was very helpful because they were all in various stages of grief, as was I. Uh, so initially there was a lot of shock. I saw people walking around, not knowing what to say or what to do, um, and some people just sat on the sidewalk. Um, but there was a lot of that—just a not a numbness, but just a it, it happened. Um, and so there was just processing. It ju- I just saw a lot of people pacing um, and just wanting to be where George Floyd was. So sitting still, getting quiet, um, and a lot of breath prayers like justice and peace and hope um, and awareness. Uh, just one word prayers. Because I didn't really have too much to say to God at that moment. Because um, I felt like crying. You know, like Jesus looked on the city of Jerusalem and weeped. It felt very much like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, very much it's like It's interesting that interesting that you brought up um sort of jesus and 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 that because what this period of time since the verdict has come out really has felt like to me um is in the jewish tradition when someone passes in for the week after you sit shiva and it sort of feels like that's what we're all doing um because it hasn't felt really final until the verdict
4: that's absolutely right uh but going there. And it took me a long time to even get close to where he was murdered. I kind of worked my way up to it. Uh, yeah. So and I didn't, I tried three days in a row to go into the store. I couldn't do it. Uh, yeah. But There was this one woman right before I was trying to record for probably 40, 30, 35 minutes, 45 minutes. I mean, it seemed like forever. was getting ready to record, you know, right in front of Cup Foods. I wouldn't dare get, get close to it. Um, because it was such a sacred space. They yeah. had put all these prayer, um, prayers and prayer cloths and rocks. And just it was just like a holy, sacred site where they just wanted him to be surrounded by prayer. And people were walking around it, praying through the space. But this one woman came and she started yelling. She started screaming. And at first I couldn't make the words out. Uh, I was shocked, but I just saw people start to back up, start to move away. And it wasn't out of fear. Apparently, this had happened before. I talked to one pastor, uh, and he said the persons would come and, and begin to scream at the building. And so for about 30 minutes straight, she yelled at the building, get out of here. We don't want you here. Close up. Shut down. I don't want to ever see you here again for 30 minutes. And nobody said anything. Everybody made space for persons to grieve in the way in which they felt very comfortable. And she screamed and she hollered and she cried as she threw things at the building. Um, She kicked at the building. She punched the air, wanting to make it all go away. And then when she was completely exhausted, she dropped to her knees and her traveling companion came over, helped her walk to the car. She got in the car and that was the end of it. And it happened like that throughout the day, Um, various stages of grief, especially on Friday, uh, mm-hmm. lots, because the rain came down and persons still came out um, and just cried. We just weeped because there was nothing you could say. There was a lot of crying and a lot of hugging, um, mm-hmm. a lot of head nods, just like, and sighs, lots of sighs. Um, but that was incredible to see. Uh, one pastor was talking about this controlled rage and they called the space an autonomous zone. So there were no police there. The police were not allowed in, the community was doing its own policing. Um, and so, it, it, yeah, there's no sign of police. Um, and they just took care of each other and looked out for one another. But right now they were just trying to keep it close, keep it tight. Um, but watching that was quite dramatic, that they made space for her and that nobody was telling her how to say it or how to be it or how to grieve. Um, but we all you know, took a step back. Many of us put our head down and we let her Tell the building off. And that was the way in which she grieved. And then when she was done, she cried, Mm -hmm. but she had to get it out. So I think communities making space for grief, however it shows up, was incredibly powerful to me. Mm -hmm. Nobody tried to stop her or shush her or ask her to quiet down. Everybody gave her space.
1: Starlet, we often talked about before you going out there that you were entering into sacred space. And over the weekend while you were there, we talked about you holding sacred space for us. You know, it's one thing to see these images on a screen, uh, on news reports. It's another thing to be there breathing the same air as these community uh, people mourn, grieve, uh, go through the stages of of grief, as you just beautifully uh, illustrated. But it sounds like to me, as you walked within this sacred space near Cups Food there, that what you were experiencing was church. Yeah. Not yeah. in a traditional sense, by any means. But that was church.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was a prayer circle around his body. They had, instead of a chalk outline of his body, they had
4: repainted his body as an angel. Uh, the sad part is that he still has hands pinned behind his back, but they had given him wings. And then they had put candles all around his body. And then different images of holy. Uh, Indigenous images, Indian image. I mean, all Baha'i, you name it. It was a Christian, um, Muslim. It was all there. Uh, Prayer cloths of all kinds, prayer towels of all kinds. They had this one image um, that is Indigenous. It says smudge and he's supposed to use it to um, ward away any evil, um, mm-hmm. any negative energy that might be around his body. And then I will watch people go by and just pray over the space, um, calling on the ancestors, calling on the name of God and, and the way in which they call on the name of God. It was very, very, very spiritual, uh, holy and sacred in their own way. So they all talk to God, to their God, and their language and their tongue in their own way on behalf of George Floyd. And that was a pretty powerful thing to see. And of course, You don't videotape in church. You put Mm -hmm. your phones away in church. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we just bowed. People got up and prayed and uh, said a word of of thanks to George or eulogized him again and again and
3: again. And we sat and said yes and amen Mm -hmm. for days. Beautiful. Yeah.
1: Attorney General Keith Ellison spoke after the verdict of guilty on all three counts was rendered uh, against uh, ex-police officer Derek Chauvin. And uh, Attorney General Ellison made this comment. He said that the verdicts themselves were not justice, but accountability. And justice is left in the hands of the people. When you were there a couple of days after the verdict was rendered, but what were some of the responses that you got from um, neighborhood residents, community leaders about? where we go from now. I mean, and and what, what did the verdict mean, but to to them, but also, okay, now, now, where do we go?
4: Yeah. So there's much conversation about, especially in the say their names cemetery about how long this has been going on and what, what it calls for next. So there was two African American women uh, who talked about how they had known multiple victims of police brutality. And they went by and visited each of their names and said, i raised this one, I taught this one in class, uh, but the, the, the consensus was that the division does not work. Uh, that the, the, the both sides or two sides narrative the splitting America down the, the middle, the red, blue, the red state, blue state, or even purple state just didn't work. And we needed more options because this was, it wasn't justice. That the verdict was not enough because this verdict should have happened hundreds of years ago that America has been guilty from the start. Uh, and that this is not, this is not even an acknowledgement of the fact because you had video and you had expert testimony and you have police officers, but it shouldn't have taken all that. When George Floyd said that he could not breathe, that should have been enough. Um, so it's more about how do we get the story out? How do we continue to amplify our voice? And how do we uh, change the narrative so that it is not so divisive? Mm. Persons wanted it to come together. They wanted it to be held. They wanted it to be embraced. Uh, and what they didn't want to come out of this was more divisiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you should be sent on the side of George Floyd or we stand on the side of the police. They wanted them all, they wanted the country to rally around and to come around, um, especially in that, say, their name, cemetery, and to acknowledge the depth of pain and loss that this one city has experienced.
5: Mm-hmm. As
4: they reminded me, it happens in all of America. Yeah. Uh, but all of America has its own graveyard, its own skeletons in its closet. So they wanted to rattle the things a bit.
1: And as the trial was going on, another killing of an African-American <laughs> man happened just miles away and that is Dante Wright. After visiting the sacred spot where George Floyd was murdered, you went over to where Dante Wright uh, was killed. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience?
3: So I knew I wasn't gonna, I knew that I couldn't travel alone. So I
4: asked a good friend of me, Angela Danker, a friend of mine, Angela Danker, to come to come with me, to hold my hand, to walk alongside me. Um, and we kind of talked through the emotions that I was already feeling. Um, and as as Providence would have it, about two minutes after I arrived, Dante, Dante's family, his entire family showed up mm. um, and started to clean up switch out flowers and things. And there was, there was teddy bears everywhere, and basketballs because he loved to play basketball and jerseys. And it was, the closest, it was the closest they could get to, to him. It was like they were cleaning up his bedroom, like a messy bedroom. Also to watch his mother, his brother, his sister, his father come and just to sit in that space. And they were so gracious. They were so kind um, to, hold, to hold that space with them and to see that he was killed in a neighborhood. The, 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 there's a school across the street. There's a church across the street. There's a, the, the memorial is backed up against the fence of someone's neighborhood, of someone's house rather. It's in the neighborhood. You know, it's, it's, it's in the thick of things. It's where they live and breathe. It's not some foreign place out. He didn't just die on the street. He died at home in a space that he should have felt safe. Uh, so watching that, seeing them grieve in that way and come back to, to see about him in that space was incredibly moving. Uh, they just wanted to be close to him. And so the whole family came just to clean up, um, to light candles again, to put flowers down, to uh, fluff up teddy bears, to prop up signs that had fallen down. They just wanted to make sure that the space was taken care of. Um, so it is, it's another grave site, a memorial site, if you would. But again, deeply devastating. Um, and I watched as community members, neighbors, uh, and friends came and just sat with him, sat and talked to him.
3: That was a, that was a, a consistent theme. That persons would sit down in the space and have a conversation with the dead. Mm yeah yeah it's just
0: I mean I just don't even have words our whole country is haunted by these graveyards that you talk about and you know thankfully now with technology it's not as easy for people to deny that yeah and I'm. I just. I still just don't have words. You know, we've marched. We've said their names. We've, you know, talked to our children. We've tried to be a voice and just admitting that complicity and trying to keep the energy where it needs to be to continue forward. Really. Yeah, that's exactly the feeling. One of exhaustion.
5: Mm -hmm.
4: um, One of also desperation that we need to keep moving forward because this can't keep happening. And persons saying. The, the next generation won't do this. We're not gonna allow this. Like I heard a lot of young people there saying, see this, see this. Or parents bring their younger children. See this, see this where George Floyd lay, or where Dante Wright uh, died. They would say, look at this. We will never do this. You will never do this. I mean, of all ages, parents of all uh, cultures and ethnic backgrounds and nationalities came and brought their children and said, look, remember him, this is where he was. This is what happened to him. And then they would say his name and tell his story and say, we won't repeat this. This won't be a part of our narrative. We won't do this. So watching that communal covenant being made day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute, people just showing up on scooters and bikes in their cars, some of them walk with their babies, um, just to be where those folks had died. It made me feel like they heard his blood crying out
5: mm-hmm.
4: and it just came to answer and said, we heard you. We see you. And we're not going to leave you here alone. Persons were there all night long. Like he was not, none of the spaces were left alone for long. Hmm. People just camped out there, laid down there. Um,
0: Sitting Shiva. Yeah, yeah,
4: yes. yes. They you're would just not, not going to leave them alone. They would not leave them alone. And that was a very comforting thing that even his last moments, uh, and even now, even after he is no longer with us in this form, they said, you're still with us. Name is everywhere, his spirit is in the air. Um, and they just would they weren't going to forget about it and they weren't going to turn him loose. It's George Floyd Square now. They said it's this is his space that he will reside here. Uh,
3: That you may have taken the life out of him, but we're going to give it back to him right here in this space.
1: Mm. Yeah, so I'm going to ask you a really difficult question. I'm going to preface this question that, um, with every announcement of the murder of a black person by a police officer, whether it's unjustified and it seems many of them are, or even justified. I mean, that it seems like we've got a system that is in place where black lives are not as valuable to society as white lives. Our fellow Baptist and social activist, Cornell West, once said, never forget that justice is what love looks like in public. And I've made this claim before, and I've got a lot of pushback on it, but I want to ask you, and I really want your honest answer to this. With what's going on in the country, and with a continued list of names that we
3: have to say out loud, And it continues to grow. With what we see in the streets, what we see in public,
1: does America love our African-American brothers and sisters? Or do we just give them lip service? And what I mean by that is that we pat them on the back. We say, you're part of this dream. You're part of this society. In churches, we do our pulpit swaps. We do our Sunday lunches Come together but what i see is brothers and sisters getting killed and where is the rest of america stepping in between the injustice that's going on and being a shield and demanding justice for our black brothers and sisters so I mean, it's a i mean it's a simple question it's a very complex question but do you think America loves our Black brothers and sisters, or do we just placate to them?
4: And So I, I will hear people comment, we don't know what's in the heart of a person, right? Hmm. But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what we've heard from America is that America does not love those socially colored Black because the system wasn't set up like that. It's a body hierarchy. White supremacy does not allow for that. That's why I say things like there's no uh, race relations. Race wasn't created for us to relate. There's no racial reconciliation. Race wasn't created for us to be reconciled. There's no racial unity. Race wasn't created for us to be unified. It's the way in which the system was set up. And so as we continue to racialize our bodies, this will continue to happen because that's the way we have agreed to relate to each other, that we're going to color code bodies and say you have value Mm. and you don't. Uh, So no, no. Uh, what love looks like is loving me in public. Love looks like friendship. Love looks like accountability. Uh, love looks like inviting me over to your house and me knowing what your last name is and who your mama is. If I don't know those things about you, like if we don't really have a relationship, if I'm only seeing you on Sunday morning and in passing, mm-hmm. uh, then do we really have a relationship? And do you really love me if you don't listen to me? If you don't believe me? If you don't mourn with me? If you don't agree with me at some point? If you're only... You're only uh, desire is to convince me to think like you and to believe like you and to be just like you to be made in your spitting image, then do you really love me? The answer is no. James Mm -hmm. Baldwin would say no. Dr. King would say no. Malcolm X would say no. Uh, You know, no, 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 no. We have a long record of that. Ida B. Wells would say no. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just a long record. W.E.B. DuPois was saying no. It's just no. Uh, when you don't get the opportunity to name yourself or when people take away heritage, tongue, uh, culture, and they call you Black as if Black is a country, as mm-hmm. if White is a country, when you don't have those, those beginnings, uh, when you rename someone and then make them your property, you think that you can anyway. Those stories stick. Those names stick. When you call persons names that they wouldn't call themselves and suggest that this is the way in which you enter the world, no, you have no love for me. Your love, The names you give me are not love-bearing. Um, no, not at all. And I think the church could do better. Mm-hmm. We don't want to suffer. We, we mimic and imitate the capitalist system that we're in. This is why we have these mega churches. Uh, it's, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm desperately in need of a prophetic word from the church that causes its suffering
5: mm.
4: where the, the world turns on the church and says, what? I thought you were with us. You were walking lockstep with us. What happened? I'm waiting for a prophetic word. <laughs> where the world says, oh, you've got to get out of here. The fact that the church can sit so comfortably in North America says a lot about what we say and don't say. Mm-hmm. The fact that we don't get any pushback from much of what we preach or sing or tweet or write says a lot about what we don't say prophetically because it should get us into trouble. In fact, it, it should get us crucified. If there we're following know. Jesus, then all roads lead to Calvary. So I'm wondering why the
3: church is not. Where's your cross? Where's your suffering? Mm. Prove it to me. Yeah. Prove it to me.
1: That's a that's an excellent word. I've often said uh, to congregations that you know Jesus was executed not because he told people to sit around a campfire singing "Kumbaya" and whispering "I love you" to one another. That doesn't get you crucified. Get you crucified is demanding justice. And yeah. and as you know, as Dr. West indicated. Justice is love in the streets, and, and that's what Jesus proclaimed, and he, and he advocated for that each and every day of his life. And when you yeah. do that, when you stand in the gap for, for those who are oppressed and marginalized and being beaten and being killed, guess what? You're going to get killed, too.
4: That's
3: right. But so often the church ends up having blood on its hands. Mm-hmm. It just, we do the killing. We do the judging, we do the murdering. But if we're
4: talking like Jesus, we should be getting in a lot of trouble. Good trouble. Good and necessary trouble. Absolutely. We should be getting kicked out of cities. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our lives should be threatened. Uh, that's, That's what suffering looks like. Not somebody sitting in my seat or that was my parking spot. That's not suffering. You didn't sing my song. The pastor didn't say my name. The disciples would laugh us out of the church with the stuff we deem suffering.
0: Uh, don't know I think the church should suffer more I don't think it's suffering enough or I had to hear my pastor say black lives matter my lord and that, and that made me feel uncomfortable oh that's suffering mm-hmm. you've but, hurt my you've hurt my feelings bless right. their hearts <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and these are real conversations happening they, in they very, really air are. quote, progressive churches Absolutely. and pastors being run out on a rail. Absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah, I get so it.
1: frustrated by, uh and it's primarily white congregants who say, well, I don't like to be, I don't like Sunday morning to be made to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And it was like, really? Yeah. That's what the gospel is. It's countercultural. It's it's supposed to make you uncomfortable. Yeah,
4: <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's
1: exactly what it's supposed to do. Yeah. But you don't want to you don't want to feel guilty. You don't want to feel uncomfortable on Sunday morning. That's exactly where you should be challenged.
4: No, because they think that the, that Christianity is practiced in a comfy pew, as opposed to a cross. Mm, Christianity yeah. is cross-bearing. Mm-hmm. It's take your cross and follow me, not pick up your pew that your grand your grandfather paid for. My daddy built this church. Uh, yeah. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. It should not make you feel good. It is not Christianity, and Jesus didn't die to make you feel comfortable or to get comfortable. Right. Uh, all identities are supposed to be subjected to the one uh, that is called Christian. Uh, so I, I, I wonder about about those folks and about those sermons. I certainly pray for them. Yeah. Because practicing faith uh, in Jesus should be difficult. It should be hard. It got him killed. Yeah, so something true. of ourselves should die. Mm.
1: Charlotte on Sunday afternoon, after you held sacred space for us in Minnesota, you got on a plane and headed back home. What well, th- went through your mind as you sailed through the sky across the country after experiencing what you experienced? Didn't want to leave
3: him. Mm. Didn't want to let go. I felt like we'd been holding hands for the whole time. You we were just rocking and moaning, walking together. I felt like I was leaving too soon. It was definitely like a pastoral care moment. Mm-hmm. I felt like like I didn't want to leave, like it wasn't time. They need it, and they need, and there's lots of pastors walking
4: this space, which I'm so grateful for, and they come mm. all day long, just a whole space. Not to convert anybody, not to <sighs> proselytize. They don't say much of anything. You wouldn't even know that they were. But no, I felt like, uh, like I needed to stay, and I think that's a word for the church, that we need to stay in this moment. Mm. Yes. Just because the cameras are not on it doesn't mean you get to look away. Just because we have a verdict doesn't mean that it's over. You need to stay with them because they have a long journey of healing ahead of them, and they want to remain in community. They want to remain together. They want to stick together. But they've got this hurt in the middle. They got this wound in the middle um, that's not going to just go away. And so I think that's a good word for the church to stick with it, to stay with it, and to stay with them. I like that, even when it hurts.
1: Well, Star, as a veteran uh, guest of the pod, <laughs> uh, you know that uh, Autumn asked a final question and. The question that we're asked today is is really asked with a broken heart. It's asked with a sense of mourning, uh, a sense of sacredness. Uh, but Autumn, I'm going to go ahead and let you ask the question, but let's just take a moment, especially after Star gives her answer, just a moment of, of pause uh, to remember the life of George Floyd, Dante Wright, and so so many others who have gone before them and continue to leave this world too
3: soon.
0: Starlet, what is your more to tell?
3: That race will not have the final word. And at the end of the day, that sociopolitical construct will not get in front of me and tell me where to go and who to be. That there's more to say about you and me than this flesh. Mm. We are living souls. We're living beings breathed into. Yeah. Beautiful. By the divine.
1: Beautiful. Wherever you are listening to this podcast right now, we're just going to take a moment. And the three of us are going to be silent, but in your heart, in your mind, or out loud for the next few seconds. Say their name. Amen.
5: Reverend
3: Thomas,
1: thank you so much for being with us today, and more so thank you for going out and holding that sacred space for us in Minnesota. Uh, Your coverage was remarkable, but just your, your presence out there meant a lot to the community and meant a lot to us as well. Thank you for all that you're doing for Good Faith Media and the Raceless Gospel. Thank you. To our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in this week. Uh, We hope uh, that you have a good weekend. And until next time, we meet again. Keep living good faith.
4: Lot Carey is proud to bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest pastors coast to coast. Our new podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, delivers wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or listen online at lotcarry.org. That's L O T T C A R E Y.org. We look forward
3: to the pilgrimage with you.